Well, I mean, I'm like one meter fifty-eight or fifty-seven or whatever it is, and that snake was looking at me in my eyes, and I'm telling you, it was a scary, scary thing, because you know, a mamba it opens its mouth like this when it's yes. looking at you, and it's totally pitch black inside there. Oh, it was. I didn't know what to do. Welcome back, guys. You are listening to episode nine of the Animals Everywhere podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you're listening to us on the Apple Podcasting app, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Tell us if you enjoy the podcast or not. If you're listening on YouTube or watching us on YouTube, remember to like, comment, and subscribe. Thank you guys so much. Let's get into today's episode with the incredible guest, Uncle Ken Broom. Something I've always wondered is, do I have a genetic predisposition to like snakes because of genetics? Well, in this episode, you might find that to be true because today's guest is Uncle Ken Broom. Uncle Ken is actually my dad's uncle, so my grandfather's brother, but he's basically like a grandpa to me and we are related. He is one of the most incredible people you'll ever meet and the stories he tells us today are absolutely mind-boggling and fascinating from all the crazy snake catching stories to the plentiful snakes just flying out of the trees and him catching them mid-air i mean it almost sounds unreal because it seems like snakes were just everywhere there he also goes over how he kept snakes in 1966 so like that was way before my parents even existed and like way before a long time ago basically he did some absolutely crazy stuff like catching puff adders mid-strike being spat at by a cobra and then not being able to see and still catching the snake and then finding out later that the venom that got spat in his eyes actually cured him and he didn't need to wear glasses anymore how incredible is that we also go over the infamous black mamba encounter that he had with a black mamba staring him down from like 35 centimeters away from his face and eventually it buried its fangs into his boots multiple times as mambas do with those multiple strikes he also goes over his vine snake bite in 2009 and this episode is just full of so many crazy stories i don't recommend you go out and try these stories but it's fascinating to listen to thank you uncle ken so much for doing this this has been like the best thing for me and i appreciate this so much So this is definitely a podcast that is going down in the history books as one of my favorite episodes. So thanks guys for watching. Remember, you can check us out on any of the podcasting platforms and rate and subscribe. Thank you guys. Enjoy this episode with Uncle Ken. Okay, so are you ready to jump in? Yes, I'm ready. Awesome. You're listening to Animals Everywhere, a podcast that aims to inspire each and every one of you to make an impact and be the change. Learn more about our natural world, explore the lives of those wild and wonderful. My name is Bryce Broom and I'm best known for my infatuation with wildlife and to live a wild life. So Uncle Ken, thank you so much for coming out here in the middle of nowhere as you have said. I really appreciate it. I think today's episode is going to be, it's really... It's going to be worthwhile for me, and it's a huge step in history book in the history books. Oh, <laughs> well, it's really wonderful to be here. I'm really thrilled to be here, truly. Well, 
you you're probably one of the only family members who also really loves snakes. Yeah, um, I really do. Well, I used to. I mean, I did. I still do. Yeah. You still do. You just don't play with them as much. No, anymore. I'm not allowed to play with them anymore. <laughs> so, when did you start liking snakes? Uh, that was a long time ago. It was when I was in the army. Uh, I was stationed in Wolfus Bay in Southwest Africa. Then it's now Namibia, and um, our our base was actually in the Namib Desert. It was about. Uh, 25 or, or 30 k's away from from Wolfers Bay into the desert and um, that's where the base was and when we went on maneuvers I was actually in, in armor so armor means that we ride around in vehicles in armored okay. vehicles okay um, it wasn't too much of the tank core but we were in the the in those days it was ferrets and saracens that uh, rode around you know, in the sand. And when we went on maneuvers and things like that, we would be riding along and I would see these little like S marks in the sand. And I would ask people, what are, what is that? And then they'd say, no, those are like sidewinders or, or horned adders or whatever they call them. I don't know what they called them in those days. But anyway, uh, so I said, so where are they? They say, no, they're just underneath the sand, but their, their little heads are just like, level yes. with the sand and then they catch these little gecko things that run on the or, or like spiders beetles or whatever that running up and down the dunes they catch them and they eat them so, little dwarf adders those, yeah that's what those are yeah oh okay yeah uh we used to call i mean the people told me that they were horned adders yes uh, they you did have those. little horns on them though yeah 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 and um or they called them sidewinders yes so so i would in in armor we when you when you uh, handling the, the the guns on the on the on the Saracen and things like that you have these nice leather gloves okay so I would put the gloves on and then I go there and I start digging and I get the snake and I catch it and I think wow this is this is exciting you know how, and, how thick were those gloves oh they were proper leather gloves I mean okay. I don't know how thick they were uh, I never ever got bitten by one so. I mean, they would bite on the leather, never went through. Okay. Because I'm still okay. <laughs> uh, but then I, you know, then I was fascinated by this snake. So that's how I actually started. And how old were you then? I was 17. 17 yeah. and in the army? Yeah. Wow. We had to go, we were conscripted straight from school. So I was 17. I, I just hadn't, I was going to just turn 18. I went in April. Uh, and and my birthday, my 18th birthday was in August, so uh, I was 17 for that little bit, yeah. Wow! And that's where your passion of snakes started. Yes. How come you weren't afraid? Because most people by that age are like, if you ah. if you've not been brought up with snakes, you. I've never been afraid with with bugs or oh, we call them hohos or anything like that, and uh, yeah, I. I mean, I would just go and grab anything. So frogs and chameleons and all kinds of things like that. So I was never, I was never afraid of a snake, especially if I had these big gloves on. <laughs> but after that, I found out that I could just catch them with my hands. So uh, I didn't need to use the gloves anymore. Oh, boy. And this doesn't we, sound good. <laughs> I, I started catching a lot of them. And okay. we would put them into 
paraffin tins. At that stage, our paraffin came in these these square tins with a with a lid on. Okay. And we would just punch holes in the lid. And um, is this there, still in? Uh, this South was still in in Southwest Africa okay, in the Noma Desert. And um, there was a, a sergeant that knew somebody um, in Bloemfontein that used to uh, sell snakes. So we would just put like 10 or 20 of these snakes into a paraffin tin and send All them All of off. them together? Yeah. <laughs> and send them off in the train to Bloemfontein. Okay. Uh, I don't know what they did with them, but uh, I never ever got any money for catching those snakes in the desert. But there were so many of them. Uh, and every time we went on a maneuver or, or went into the desert, then there they were. So I would just catch them. So there was a lot of those little horned adders out there. Yeah, plenty, plenty, plenty. Oh, that must be the dream. Now it's not so easy to go out and find them. No, I'm sure. Yeah. But then, you know, there wasn't many people that used to go into the desert. So I think it was usually like virgin virgin soil i mean yes. well it wasn't soil it was sand <laughs> and those big dunes there near to Wolfers bay were well one of them dune seven is actually the highest dune in the world so that was real fun and we used to do a lot of sand skiing on those on the on those dunes it would take you a hang of a long time to get to the top and then you would come down like in five seconds on a on a piece of masonite that we had put candle wax on the bottom of it. Okay, and so you, you would made your slide all the sleds. way down. It was really really good fun. So that's on weekends, fun. that's what we used to do. We used to we used to go sand skiing. Okay, I didn't know you get weekends in the army. Oh yes, yeah yeah yeah. Okay, the, unless you were on guard duty or something like that. Interesting. Yeah. Ha, so back then, you obviously didn't have. Google and I've heard there weren't many snake books around. So how did you like learn more about these snakes and find out what snake was what? Uh, that only happened after I I uh, left the army. Um, then I started working in a building society, and uh, I studied by correspondence uh, for a CIS. Um, then. I always wanted to go farming. Uh, and after I'd saved up enough money uh, to go to agricultural college, uh, I applied at the agricultural college and then they told me that I couldn't be a farmer because, well, I couldn't go to the college because uh, you had to be sort of, you had to have farm experience at least a year on a farm before they would take you at the college. So... Um, that sort of like shattered my dream because from the time I was like six years old, I wanted to be a farmer. I used to grow millies in the back garden uh, in my father and mother's house uh, and they put up with it because because they knew that I really enjoyed uh, planting corn like that. And uh, so right from the Early, early part of my life, I would do that and I, I, I had a subscription to the Farmers Weekly uh, which has been going for many, many years before that even. That's, that's like a magazine, right? That's a magazine, which is still going today. You can still buy a Farmers Weekly today. Um, and and so I really wanted to be a farmer. So then my father decided that he knew somebody down in the Lowfelt, which is uh, Mbombela, Nelspreit. And uh, he phoned him and he, he asked him if there was any chance that I could get onto a farm in that area 
And that guy said, well, actually, I'm a director of one of the farms in that area. So I will ask the, the farm manager. And uh, I got a job there. And that was uh, at Hall & Sons, which is a very, very big uh, citrus estate. Uh, they have a lot of other things as well. They have uh, pecans and cattle and, and subtropical fruits and they do vegetables and they do all kinds of things. Uh, very, very big farm. It was like about 440,000 hectares. Very, wow. very big farm. And it was broken up into sections. So I started there and uh, that's where I started farming. And right. it was great. I really, really enjoyed it. And that's where I started to see snakes because that whole area was just like snakes wall to wall. It was really nice. Snake paradise there. Absolutely snake paradise. And after a year being on the farm, I applied to get a, one of the, the biggest sections with, with the cattle and, and uh, pecans and subtropical fruits, avos and bananas and things like that. I applied for that, uh, that section to become the manager because the manager of that section was going to leave. And they said, no, 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 you can't do that. You know, we need somebody with an agricultural degree and all that kind of stuff. And then I got married and uh, I went away on honeymoon. And when I was coming back, I, was, I had a little house in the, 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 the main residential area on the farm. Uh, I'd been given the little house before I got married, before I actually got married. And we had fixed it all up and everything. And then... Just before I got back to the farm, I was told that uh, by one of my friends, I was told, you know, that you're not going to go and stay in that house. You, they have decided to let you go onto that section. So that's where you were. And on that section, there were snakes everywhere. I saw them on a daily basis. That's so cool. Yes. And so that's when I really, really started getting involved with snakes. I, I loved them. And I just couldn't keep my hands off of them. And I mean, it was just, if I saw a snake, I wanted to pick it up. <laughs> so that's what it was. But most of the snakes there were, were Mozambican spitting cobras uh, and puff adders, lots and lots of puff adders, uh, plenty boomslung in the trees, in avo trees. And it was, it was amazing because when we were, were spraying the trees, uh, if you went to the end of the orchard, uh, you would see boomslung shooting out the end of the trees because they were scared of the, the, the spray machines and the spray hitting the trees. Okay. And they would just fly out the end and then into the grass and gone. Was that an insecticide spray? Yeah, that okay. was an insecticide spray. Yeah. So, so then I thought, you know, and if we could catch them when they came out the trees. So I started with a, with a big grain sack. And I would watch these, these snakes shoot out the end like us, and then, and I managed to catch a few, and in that the was air. very exciting in the air. Wow! Yeah. So they literally like just they shoot actually out, like, just shoot out the trees. Rockets. Yeah, some of them low, and some of them quite high. But I mean, they just want to, they just want out, and they can see the grass over there, so they just into the grass at the end of the orchard. So and that's where I started to really catch those. Um, I didn't know how to handle them or anything. And those are very different to the um, snakes you would find in Namibia. I mean, oh yes, no, I never ever adders. saw anything like that in Namibia. Never. But these are something else to handle for these sure. These were something else, and and I didn't know how to do it because, uh, as as you said, there's no Google there. <laughs> I mean, there was no Google. We had nothing, so uh, I I actually knew nothing about snakes really. 
Okay. But I was able to catch some of those. And then I found some of my workers who weren't afraid of snakes and they would help me to catch them and we would hang up like a Hessian sheet and they would fly into the sheet and we would just wrap it up and and then go and put them into an, an old silo okay. that we had. It was um, a silo that, that actually was uh, about six feet under the ground surface and then up, you know. Yes. But, I mean, there was a big pit there. And so we would take them and I just threw them into the pit. There was there was old grain and things lying on the bottom there, but we would just throw them in there. So you would uh, I just wanted to keep them. Yes. <laughs> so you started keeping snakes. So snakes then I started then. keeping snakes. So what and year was this? That was in uh, nineteen sixty six. Wow. Nineteen sixty six, nineteen sixty seven. You started was keeping when I started uh, catching snakes nicely. Yeah. So would you put everything together? Oh, in yes, one? everything, because I didn't know that they might eat each other. I knew that, uh, you know, I had read then after that, uh, I read something about uh, big king cobras that they eat other other cobras and they eat other snakes and things like that, but I didn't really know about anything like that. But then I started uh, catching puff adders with, because I really liked catching puff adders. Um, and to me, they were very easy to catch. So at first, I would just find a stick or whatever was there, and, and I would just, after the snake had struck and, and gone, gone to ground to recoil, I would put the stick on the back of his head and catch him. And then... Uh, so you would pin it? Yeah, I would pin the, the head. And yeah. then grab it behind the neck? And then I would okay. grab it with my hand. And then I realized that... I would watch them how they sh- how they they struck at me and how they didn't. I mean, especially with the puffies, they they strike, but then they go down to recoil like it. And and so it was one of those kind of movements. And then I thought oh, I can catch that. <laughs> uh, at that stage, I mean, I tell you, I, my, I was very very fast. I don't know how I ever became fast like that, but anyway, I was very fast. And so then I tried it. And then what I would do is I would take my handkerchief out. And I would wave it in front of the puffetta. And then when the puffetta struck at the Yankee, I'd just catch it. What? Yes. Like these, these snakes like are some of the fastest striking snakes and you just I caught it. Him. Did uh, you catch it in mid-strike or when it had like as it, recoil back? No, as it hit the handkerchief. As it hit the handkerchief. You grab it. I felt like that was its weakest point. Yes. Uh, so, yes. And there were some really nice big ones that we caught. And then, of course, I would just go throw them into the snake pit. And then... And, and you didn't get bitten doing this? No, never. <laughs> and then with the with the Mozambican spitting cobras, I did exactly the same. Okay. Uh, I found them actually easier to catch. Yeah, those would be a lot easier yes. than the puff adders. Yeah. So, uh, and, and I really liked it when they flared out and it was it was real fun for me <laughs> and when they made the nice hoods yes did you wear glasses at least no i never ever did i at the in the beginning i didn't really think that they could spit like that i mean i'd heard all kinds of stories and that you know yes and i mean you do once you start playing the snakes you hear lots of stories true but i no, i didn't i didn't uh i didn't know that that they could actually be damaged to me until one spit in my eye. Whew. That was terrible. <laughs> and he was actually in in a rock. He couldn't get away. Okay. So 
I was going to catch him. And, 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 and I mean, I saw him there. So I put my hand out, and as I did that, he, he spat at me, but he got me straight in my eye. I mean, from near, I, I, I don't think he was as far as you, because my hands bent, my arms bent like that I could have caught him. So he was very near. And he got me full ball in my eyes. Well, I was blind instantly, but it didn't stop me. I caught him. <laughs> Even blind, I knew exactly where he was. And I grabbed him and I caught him. And then I shouted for help because then I, I couldn't get back to the farmhouse where I was supposed to be. And fortunately, my wife heard me and uh, she came running and she led me back to the house. But I didn't know what to do. And it was. So you still had the snake in your hands at the time? I still had the snake in my hand, yes. Uh, I had its tail in my one hand and, and the head in the other hand, yes. And, and then. Uh, it was excruciatingly sore. I mean, it felt like somebody had thrown glass in my eyes. It, it was so sore. I mean, I, I can't actually explain to you how sore it was, but it was really, really sore. I didn't know what it actually did. I only found out afterwards that that, that uh, venom actually dries up the mucous membrane on your eye and then your eyelid sticks to your eyeball. Uh, it's very, very sore. But anyway, I... My wife told me where to put the snake and we put it in and we got that. And then she took me to the hospital. And and when when we got to the hospital... So the, you put it in the silo? No, no, no. Then we, I was at another place. I was at another oh. farm. I had hired a little farm. I'd, I'd hired a farm to grow tomatoes. Okay. And so this was on that farm. Yeah, sorry, I, I should have told you that. But anyway, so then she got me in the car and we went to the, the hospital in Nelspreta, Rob Ferreira. And and honestly, the doctor that was there didn't really, really know what to do. They they did try to irrigate my eye with with a saline solution and things like that. Um, and they they said that they got all the the, the venom out. Uh, but by that time, I mean, my eyes were already swelling and they were bloodshot and and um, so they put pads on my eyes and they put me into the hospital bed and. Uh, well, it was just pain from then on. And I want to tell you that it was pain for three days. My my whole face just swelled up very badly. And uh, eventually after three days, I could see a little bit uh, through the swelling on my eyes. And um, yeah, so that was quite an experience for me. And I found out afterwards how I should have done it from uh, some people that had been spat at. But then an interesting th thing with this, after you got spat in the uh, eyes, you didn't need to wear your glasses in anymore, Oh, right? yes. I had had to wear glasses for a long time. And um, after, when I when I'd healed from that experience, um, I found that when I put my glasses on, I couldn't see. So I left them off. And then... Uh, Many, 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 many years after that, I had a motorcycle accident and I fell on my head and um, and it did something to my eyes. And uh, so from then on, I had to wear glasses and I still wear glasses today. Maybe we, we should get a snake to spit in your eyes again. What do you think? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't think I don't, so. I don't think I'd like that very much now. Yeah. But I did have three occasions uh, where I was spat at, but the second time I, I knew what to do. And I irrigated my eyes underneath a, a tap in the garden. I just 
turned it on full ball and and I irrigated my eyes out and it worked very well. And then the third time, I, I actually didn't feel a thing because I irrigated them properly and and I, and I did it quickly. So I don't think that the, the actual venom had any time to actually react on my eyes. So, yes. Yeah, so, you know, you, you live and learn. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Not the nicest learning no. experience to go through. No, it through. isn't, but I want to tell you that when I was... Uh, you know, when I was young, if I had done everything that my mother had told me to do, I would have been a man with no experience <laughs> because it seemed like she just knew everything. And she would say, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. But I'm glad that I did. Yeah. So I've had a lot of experience in my life. Yeah. That's awesome. What What did you do with all the snakes that were kept in the silo? How did you keep them alive? Okay. So then I started... Um, I got, I had a lot of workers on my farm. My section, I had like sixty-three boys in a gang, and um, and 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 they would catch mice and rats for me around where they stayed in their their areas, um, and then I would feed that. I would just take a whole bunch of them and throw them in there, and the snakes had a free fall, and they. That's how we fed them. Yeah, and I had put water there. I'd put bowls of water and things like that, and then and then wonderful uh, thing happened. Somebody came to the farm. Uh, I think it was one of the stock inspectors, and uh, I went and showed him all the snakes that I had in that snake pit, and um, and then he said to me, "No man, I know this guy in Nelspruit who catches snakes and 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 he sells the snakes." So he came and had a look. And uh, he said, yes, okay, I'll give you. And at that stage, we sold them by the, by the, by the foot. That was 12 inches in those days. Uh, what it is in centimeters, I don't know. But we would get... I think it's 30 centimeters. Okay, so at 30 centimeters, we would get like one rand. Okay. So, <coughs> excuse me, most of, most of my snakes were, were like maybe a foot and a foot and a half, the ones that I was catching at that stage. So I'd only get like one rand fifty per snake, but it was good because in those days, in nineteen sixty-seven, my salary was only twenty-five rand a month. Oh wow! On so the farm. one rand for one. For uh, it was snake good. Is... I, it really supplemented my my income, and I really thought I was doing very well. And these snakes went to Fitzsimmons Snake Park, right? Evidently, that's where he sold them to. Maybe he sold to some other places as well. But uh, but he told me that that is the the main source of his his snakes, and he sent them there so that they could extract the the venom from them to make anti serum. Yeah, that's that's what I heard, and I was very happy to get it. I don't know what he got for the snakes. Uh, maybe he got a lot more. But anyway, I was very happy for that. And yeah. how many snakes would you sell on like a monthly basis? I would say in a month I would sell 20 to 25 snakes. Okay. Yeah. There were all kinds. I mean, uh, there were lots of uh, non-venomous snakes that I would catch, like brown house snakes were many. I mean, there were just lots. And um, olive house snakes and oh, there were lots of little snakes that I caught um, that, that, yeah, lots. I don't know. I can't remember all the different kinds, but any yes. snake that was there, I caught it. I and just couldn't let a snake go. <laughs> Did you still keep some snakes to yourself, though? No. 
Okay, so you saw... No, but I always had because, I mean, when he came to fetch those, I already had a whole lot more in there. Okay. Yeah, so... So it was almost... The silo is like your storage facility for yes. all the snakes you caught. Yes. And then I, I did... I, I, my first mamba was a very small mamba. I think that um, I saw two of them together. So they maybe they were maybe uh, babies. Okay. Uh, so I managed to catch them pretty easily. And so I also threw them into the thing. And How then, did you catch those? Also with also, the handkerchief? Uh, no, those ones, I didn't even have to do that. They, I just caught them. Just like that? Yeah, I just caught them by the tail and then grabbed the head and, yeah. So, <laughs> to a mamba. Wow. So, yeah. My wife was a bit concerned, I must tell you. Um, <laughs> I can imagine why. But she she eventually came around and she, after a while... Uh, you know, I I had heard from this guy that he milked the snakes and all that, and I went and have, had a look and saw how he did it. Uh, I took a glass and he put some plastic over the top, and then he pushed the snakes' fangs through there, and then he got and he collected all those drops. So then I started doing that because that was fun. And uh, <laughs> your average day of fun milking a few yeah. snakes for venom. And you know, brass. One of the things that I found was that. After two days of, of going into that snake pit and playing with the snakes, they they were like very docile. <laughs> and it was very easy to catch them. I didn't have to use a hanky or anything. And hardly, uh, I can't remember them actually striking at me. Yes, some of them did, but but most of them were very placid. So we would just catch them and milk them. It shows you how when you, when you respond to the snakes, they kind of respond back with, a similar type of behavior they're not yeah they they don't think you're going to kill them so they don't have a reason to try and defend themselves well 24/7. i didn't know that at that time i do know now because i've watched your youtube quite a lot and, <laughs> thank you uh, so i have watched quite a lot of those things there yeah. i really didn't know very much about snakes and i still to this day i, I i'm not an expert at snakes uh, i just love catching them <laughs> yeah. well they're amazing creatures um, what did you do with the venom that you would milk? Uh, what we did was we we had a little flame. This guy showed me how to do that. Okay. We had a little flame and, and we had these little little uh, like test tube things that we put the venom into. And then we held it on top of the flame until the venom actually crystallized. Okay, because it gets rid of all the moisture yeah. and that. So Yeah. Okay. And then we would just take that and empty it out into a little uh, plastic bag. And we would just keep that until we had a little bit. And then at the end of the month, that guy would come and take it. And he would weigh it and give us some money. So we made a little bit more money out of that than we did out of the snakes. Okay. So what they did with that after that time, I don't know. And I don't know whether he did anything else, you know, before he sent it to Fitzsimmons. And I knew that it was to Fitzsimmons in Durban. Um, yes. Yeah. So uh, what, what they do with the crystals, uh, crystallized venom is they put it back into a liquid and then inject, uh, inject it into horses in small quantities until uh, over the years uh, or months horses actually build up antibodies to the venom and wow, then what they do yeah. is they take the blood out of the horses yes and then they separate the plasma from the blood um and then they take the plasma because that re- uh, contains all the antibodies for them to create the anti-venom and yeah. then they put all that blood back into the horse 
or the host yeah, animal. So from the plasma, then they create the yes. antivenom. So that's basically how that's amazing. it's made. So yeah, it's it's pretty cool. And what year were you doing this? So that was also right up until seventy two. Okay. Yeah. So that's what. 49 years ago or so, 49, 50 yes, years ago. Yes, it was a long time ago. Wow. So you were you were back then milking snakes. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah. And, and not knowing anything about it. <laughs> and you, you didn't even necessarily know that you were going to save lives with that venom for anti-venom production. No, I knew nothing. I mean... You just got some extra bucks and you loved handling it, the snakes. Yes, and also it was too... To help me to buy things that I wanted. <laughs> and and I mean, it was because I was able to hire another farm to go and plant tomatoes on. And uh, I used that money. I used the snake money for that. Wow. That's so cool. So that was very cool. So snakes paved a way for your life too. Yes. That's incredible. Yeah. That, that's really cool. I want that to happen to me too. <laughs> it will. It will though. <laughs> So, what did your parents think of you catching these snakes? Ah, uh, look, my dad was not. Uh, he was, he was quite intrigued, actually. Okay. Um, my mom wasn't very happy about me catching snakes um, because she just said that you know I'm I'm being irresponsible because I knew that you know those. They could harm me. Yes. And now I was married, and uh, it it seemed like I didn't care. But our, uh, like I told you, my wife came around, and she started helping me to to uh, milk the snake. So I mean, she she actually enjoyed it very much. Really, Auntie Enid helped. Yes. Did she neck any of the snakes, or what would she help you with? She would actually, yeah, no, she would milk the snakes. Really? Yeah. yeah. That is so cool. Yeah. I wow. mean, if they, if they, uh, like, if a, if a cobra reared up like that, then she would just stay away. Okay. Uh, but the the puffadders never gave us any trouble, really. Wow, so, that's very strange. Yeah. Like, it, it's impressive. So you you would just grab it behind the head without restraining it in any other way before. Yeah. Uh, I can tell you. I mean, I don't know if this is what they do naturally, but this is what my snakes did. The the perfect eddies would just stay on the ground. Yes. And so you just went and caught them behind the head. It shows how docile they yeah. actually are. They don't want to harm yeah. people. So, yeah. But I want to tell you that all that changed one day. Um, I used to ride around the farm in a little mini moak. Uh, it's a little Morris jeep. Uh, very, very close to the ground. Okay. Uh, I did bring a picture, but it's in my car. Okay. So um, I'll uh, I'll show it over the video now because uh, I can edit that in. So okay. if you, if you want to check it out, guys, go to Animals Everywhere podcast on YouTube and you can see it right now. Yeah. Okay. There we go. So that will be very good. And then um, so this little mini muck is very low on the ground and it's open on all the sides. It's got four four little seats in it. Uh, it's very small, like a mini car. Okay. I mean, the minis now that we have nowadays are actually big, like big cars. But in those days, a mini was a mini. I mean, it was a little mini car. It was very small. 
tiny little wheels and, and everything. Anyway, and then it had like a canvas roof on the top. That's all. But no sides, no nothing. Okay? And I used to do a dawn patrol, what we call dawn patrol, which I rode all around the roads on the farm um, to just inspect and to see that everything was okay. And also so that I could keep my labor uh, involved, so I would find out things maybe in the fences that needed to be repaired, or or if one of the roads was was had potholes in or something that we could fix that. And so that's what the the uh, the drive in the morning was actually all about. Okay. So I had gone a little bit. It was about uh, I started at six o'clock, and uh, I was coming back along one of the very narrow uh, gravel roads uh, with grass on either side of the road. And very narrow. I mean, just the 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 minimoke would just get through there, and there was just a little bit on each side. And as I came around a bend, I saw a polythene, a black plastic polythene pipe, right across the road. And I thought, what? Why did these guys leave it there? You know. And and when I got nearer, I suddenly saw that it wasn't a polythene pipe. It was a snake. And it was, I didn't know which end had the head on or the tail because they were both, both ends were in the grass. Yes. And was I it was, just lying there? It was just lying across the road. It wasn't moving at all. So I realized that I can't even put on the brakes. And if it is a mamba, I mean, I had heard so many stories about mambas. Let me just tell you some stories because these are the things that went through my mind right at that particular time. Uh, on this this uh, section that I was on was the old Nelspruit Airport, and the the runway was right in the onto the farm. Uh, it went higher than my bananas. Okay, and it was built up. Okay, and uh, I had I had pulled a lot of planes out that had overshot the runway. And come into my bananas, and then I would get on a tractor and pull it back onto the onto the runway so that they could get it fixed, whatever was broken. But these guys that were flying in those airplanes had said to me that at the end of that runway, when they turned to to actually take off, yes, um, that mambas would come out of the grass and come right up to the, the the perspex windows of the little airplanes. They were like Cessna 150s and Cessna 172s and things like that, and actually struck on the, on the glass of the window. And then when they started to, to rev the motors, the snake would actually follow them. And, and I mean, these were all stories, and I didn't know... I didn't know whether it was true or whether it wasn't true, but they said it was absolutely true. Yes. And then our section manager, who used to ride around in a in a Land Rover, when we rode with him, he would never ever open the windows on the farm, and it was hot. I mean, there it's like thirty to forty degrees uh, in the summer. It's really hot there yes. in the low felt. And and he wouldn't put on well they didn't have any air conditioning in those those Land Rovers at that stage and it was hot inside and he would never ever open the window and if we opened the window he'd say no close it because he said that he had had on numerous occasions mumbles striking at the window right next to his head so I knew then that mumbles actually struck at at something that's moving you know yes and and if they feel like they they uh, are being uh, 
captured or, or whether they're in trouble or, or whatever, yes. I think usually they would, would disappear. But if they felt threatened in any way, then they would strike. Yes. So I'd heard all these stories. And now I'm riding in this open thing, uh, low on the ground. I'm telling you, it was only that high off the ground, the, the top of the where I'm sitting. Oh, wow. So I knew that if I went over that snake, whichever end had the head on, was going to bite me. I really knew that. So I bailed out. I just, I just left the car. It was still in gear. I didn't put the brakes on or anything. I just bailed out the side because I was going to go into the grass on the side. I just bailed out of the seat. I had my Alsatian dog sitting on the back seat and I shouted at Sheba, Sheba, stay, stay. And Sheba just sat still on the back seat and the car actually stalled before it hit the snake. But the snake shot into the left-hand side of the road, but just as quick. Now I'm, I'm coming at, I'm getting up from the back of the vehicle now. I'm getting up on the, on the gravel, yes. and I'm standing up. And like lightning, that snake came right in over the two front seats of the, of the, the mini moke, which had now stalled in front of me, and came down like that. Past Chiba. Past Sheba, she was in the back seat, came down and came straight to me. And when it got to me, it just rose up like this eye level. I had heard that snakes, that those mambas can stand at least two-thirds of their length. That's what I'd heard in the air. Yes. Well, I mean, I'm like one meter 58 or 57 or whatever it is. And that snake was looking at me in my eyes. And I'm telling you, it was a scary, scary thing. Because, you know, a mamba, it opens its mouth like this when it's yes. looking at you. And it's totally pitch black inside there. Oh, it was, I didn't know what to do. All I knew was, this thing is going to bite me. And it's going to bite me somewhere up here on the top of my shoulders or my neck or on my face even. And I would have 30 minutes to live. That's what I knew. And I want to tell you, I knew one thing. Don't move. Don't blink. Don't, don't do anything. Just stand there. And I stood there. And this, this snake started doing this. I want to tell you that it wasn't even 35 centimeters from my face. It was standing right in front of me. The, the bottom of the snake was actually near to my legs. Yes. And it curved like this and it was looking at me like this. So was it the bottom of the snake leaning against your legs? To no, look up at it you? wasn't okay. touching. But I mean, you know, with your peripheral vision, you can, I saw the whole world, I'm telling you. <laughs> and everything went through me. The first thing I just thought about my wife, what is she going to do? And, and. I mean, people had told me that I must be careful. So everything goes through your mind, and it's in like a split second. I can tell you, this wasn't, this didn't take long. Yes. But to me, it was like endless because I did not know what to do. There was no ways that I could get my hands up from my side to catch that thing around its head. And suddenly, I think it was in my spirit. I just felt to kick out with my left foot. I had boots on okay. and long pants. Okay, I kicked out with my left foot. That snake just went down straight like this. 
and struck at my boot and, and buried its fangs into the sole of my boot. The side, you know, the side. Yes, it buried yeah. its fangs into there. And it started like biting. So it did the multiple strikes like yeah. typical mambas. Yeah. Well, I didn't even wait another second. And I just leaned down with this hand and I caught it behind the back of the head. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you, it spun around and it got all around me and I managed to grab its tail. Wow. And I got back in the car holding its head and its tail. And I started the car and I put it into gear with its tail. I put it into gear and I rode back to the farmhouse. I unwrapped the snake when I got to my snake pit and I threw it into the snake pit. And then I went back to my house and I sat down and I realized I need a cup of tea. <laughs> I went and made a cup of tea and I sat down and I drank that. And then the shock hit me. I could not believe what had just happened to me. It was amazing. And I realized that I'd won this time. So suddenly the phone goes. So I go answer the phone. It's my mother. She stays in Pretoria. I'm 370 kilometers away in Nelspret. She said, what happened to you at 7 o'clock this morning? I said, Mum... What do you mean? She said, what happened to you at 7 o'clock this morning? I said, well, I had a confrontation with the big mamba. She said, that's it. Do you know I was hanging up the washing and God told me to pray for you now. Ken is in danger. And she prayed for me. And that's exactly at the time Where you when I realized to kick out with my leg. And that's what's so incredible because that's the, oftentimes we'll use our shoes and that to get the attention of the snake yeah. on something other than like our face yeah, yeah. or, yeah. So without knowing that or learning it from anywhere, you just did it. Yeah. And yeah, that's pretty cool. It was a life and death thing. And and actually, after I'd put the snake in the snake pit, you know, I kind of like thought it was me that I'm so good at catching snakes. <laughs> yes. But it wasn't. It was God. And, 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 and that actually changed my life. I tell you, I mean, I was brought up in a Christian home. Um, I was very naughty when I was young. But, you know, boys are usually naughty. <laughs> Not my brother, though. My brother was very good. He never <laughs> did anything naughty. Anyway, so the thing was that, yeah, I... It changed my life. And I realized that that there is a God. I mean, I knew there was a God, but I'd never seen God actually working in my life. And and when my mother told me that she prayed for me right then, I suddenly realized that God is alive. Yeah, this wasn't a coincidence. And, no, and that he loved me. And it changed my life, yeah, for the better. That's awesome. I didn't stop catching snakes there. I'm glad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How big was the mamba? Did you ever get to measure it? Yes, it was three meters and one and a half inches. So whatever that is. Okay. And it was, it was a beaut of a snake. Wow. It really was. And I want to tell you that, that both my wife and I, we played with that snake again when it was in the 
Silo? I didn't know Auntie Ian would play with the snakes yeah. or catch them and handle them. That's when we, we had to measure it. Okay. So we had to catch it again. And the first time we went in there, we couldn't catch it. They, they are incredibly fast, eh? They are. I mean, th- it would just zoom around to the other side of the silo. The silo was round. It, we just couldn't catch it. Uh, and then it, it didn't want to eat uh, straight away. So we left it for a couple of days. And then, and then we got back in there and we tried to catch it. And, and eventually I managed to catch it. And, um, and then we just like stroked it and everything. And then we measured it. And it was three meters. Uh, no, wait, it was three meters and 15 centimeters. That's what it was. Okay. When, wow. I, when I actually changed it from feet to inches, that's what it was. Three, three meters and one and 15 centimeters. Wow. That's a pretty I mean, it was a big snake. It was the biggest one I've ever seen. And after that, I saw a lot of mambas on that property, but I, I was too scared to catch them. I can understand why. I mean, yeah. you had a pretty traumatic mamba experience yeah. then. Do you know? Do you know something? Can I just tell you? Yes. I used to take a coke, coke lid. Yeah. Uh, you know the bottle top. Yes. Uh, I mean that would be full plastic. You know, you used yeah, to, have the, to open the metal it. one. Yes. And you put it right on the edge of the table. Okay. And then you take your hand and you hit like that. And if you can catch that before it hits the ground, then you're fast enough to catch a snake. <laughs> and I used to be able to do that, and I can't do it now. So is that why you're not playing with snakes now? No, that, that happened that happened after I was bitten. I'd never been bitten by a snake in all the years. But uh, I went and stayed in Malawi. Uh, I was a missionary in Malawi for about 12 years and um, never saw very many snakes in Malawi um, apart from um, House snakes, there were quite a lot of those. And there was marsh snakes that they have there in Malawi. Uh, I never, ever saw any uh, venomous snake in Malawi. Um, I mean, I, I knew that they were there, but I think the people in Malawi eat snakes, so maybe the snakes just all stayed underground. I don't know, but anyway. Okay. <laughs> they knew people I really, were somewhere. Yeah, I really fear. never, ever came across any more snakes there. But um, but I was staying at an orphanage um, about 35 kilometers from, from uh, Blantyre. And okay. it was right, right in the bush. And um, this, this orphanage was very isolated. And it had about, uh, I would say, 204 little kids that were there in the orphanage. Yes. And uh, it was really good. Uh, one day, one Sunday, uh, I, I rented a, a cottage there because they had a lot of cottages and, and I needed a place to stay. I was involved in another project uh, teaching people how to grow vegetables and things like that. And um, these little guys came to me on the, the one Sunday afternoon. Uh, I was visiting with some friends there and uh, they said to me, Uncle Ken, there's a, there's a snake in the tree. And we, we want to see it. So I said, okay, so what tree? So they went and showed me the tree. And it took me a long time to actually see the snake. And then I realized that it was a, a vine snake 
or a twig snake, whatever they call it. And um, that's why I couldn't see it in the in the in the beginning because yes. it just looked like the a, camouflage is yeah, so incredible, absolutely incredible. Anyway, so I said, okay, I said, go get some 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 reeds. So they got some reeds, and then I said to them, okay, now you hit the side of the tree, and I went that side, and um, as the snake stuck its head outside the tree, like this, I just caught it, and it was it was just over a meter long. Okay. And it was it had a green head, and beautiful brown here and a white berry. I only found out afterwards that it's an eastern vine snake. Yes. Uh, or or somebody called it the Mozambican vine snake. Yeah. I don't that's know. They why, got lots of names. Yeah. There's different vine snakes. So here in South Africa, we got the Thelotornis capensis, uh, which is our vine or twig snake. Yeah. And then up there, um, also around Kenya, so. Um, area that's the eastern vine snake and the the scientific name is thelotornis mosambicicarnus or some, something on along those yeah. lines and that's why i reckon it would be mozambican vine sure. snake yeah i should have had you there you could have told me that it was dangerous <laughs> what you, well, i wouldn't have known it back then <laughs> okay this was in 2009 yeah, I definitely wouldn't have known that yeah. in 2009. Okay, so now I I caught the snake and 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 it is beautiful. And while I was while I was showing all the kids and they were very interested in it. Um I kind of like made it a little bit mad and it like swelled up like this but but round. <laughs> yes, they puff up their necks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, it looked fabulous. So I, I suppose I was taunting the snake a little bit and everything. Anyway, these these little guys they lose interest very quickly. They'd seen the snake now and everything, so um, so I decided to let it go. I just walked a little bit until I found some grass there, some long grass, and um, so I I had the snake in this hand and I had the head in this hand. Yes, uh, and so I let it go, and it went like this, and it was going into the grass. But before its tail left this hand. Somebody called me and I looked back like that. And as I looked back, that guy just turned around and he came and he bit me on this finger here. Because they backfanged. Yes. He bit me on this finger and he chewed my hand. I'm telling you, I felt three times him injecting that venom into my hand. It was so sore. <laughs> And now these kids had turned around. Now they now they're looking at me. Now they're getting interested. Yeah. And now this snake is hooked on me. It wouldn't let go. And it's just pumping that stuff into me. And I want to tell you that I knew now this is like a boomslung. So I mean a boomslung you you can die very yes. quickly. So so I knew now, okay, well. And this there's is no anti venom also. Yeah, there's no anti venom. And even in Blanta, I mean there would be no antivenom in, in any case for any kind of snake. They wouldn't have it there. They could get it. It would have to come with a courier. It could take like about a week or so. And then, oh, somebody would lose the syringe. And then, oh, wow, we can't do this. Ah, no, 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 you're going to die anyway. And I, I realized I'm, I'm going to die. I was quite happy that I'm going to die. So, one, so when it bit you there, uh, when you turned around, did you like – Grab its tail again. No, it. its tail had actually gone out of my hand. Okay, and and it just turned around 
it was watching me, but I wasn't watching it. Because yeah, so when you made that that's movement, that's a big, got big mistake. I mean, I knew that when I was catching those other snakes. You must never, never get sidetracked. Okay, so so that thing was watching me, and it saw that I'm not looking anymore. So it came and bit me. But then I had to had to actually pull its jaws off my finger, and already the the blood was just flowing out of my hand it, because because it's a hemotoxin yeah, yeah it was like just red water but it was coming out fast so I, I i had now the snake in this hand so i just threw it into the into the bush and then i grabbed my finger like this and i just like made like nothing happened because i didn't want to upset let, the kids let all those guys go so i went and i went back into my cottage and I actually only realized the one thing that I must try and do is just to get my heart rate down. So I must just relax. So I just went and lay on my bed. And I'm, and and then I saw that the blood is now getting on my duvet and all that. So I got up and I got a towel and I wrapped my hand in a towel. <clears throat> I knew there was nothing that I could do. And I I just realized that I'm going to die. Oh, it's an amazing feeling. But what do you mean it's an amazing feeling? Well, it's an amazing feeling to know that like in 30 minutes you're going to die and there's nothing you can do here now. I couldn't do anything. I mean, it would be no good me getting into my car or anything. Oh, like a powerless Yeah, it's just, I'm just going to die, that's all. So I might as well die on my bed, you know. Those people that I was visiting, I never told them. I just disappeared. Uh, they didn't see it at all. They saw me playing with the snake, but they didn't see that snake biting me. And all the kids, they just walked away and everything. I was just all by myself. So I went and lay down on my bed. <clears throat> and then it's amazing. I mean, God loves me, you know. Yes. So, so I'm lying there and, and in my spirit, it's just telling me, you can die if you want to die, but you don't have to. I heard that. I mean, I heard that loud and clear. So I got up and I went and fetched my Bible and I went to all the portions in the scripture where it talks about snakes where you can tread upon serpents and scorpions and they will not harm you, that you can pick up snakes and they will not harm you, that you can drink poison and it will not harm you. And then when Paul was was making a fire, he picked up a whole lot of sticks and there was a viper there, whatever viper that was, and it bit him and he just shook it off. And carried on making the fire and he never died. And 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 so then I suddenly realized, okay, so I don't have to die if I just believe what the word of God says. So I I, I prayed and I said, Thank you, Jesus. I I really believe that I do not have to die. And then I went and lay back on my bed and I was still in my clothes, of course, and I had this towel wrapped around my hand, and I went to sleep. And that was about half past five in the in the afternoon when that snake bit me. So I was just lying on the bed. Well, I woke up the next morning. And we started work at 6 o'clock in the morning. And it was now half past 5. So I woke up and I, I said, I'm still alive. And I said, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. But I felt like I couldn't move. I felt like I, I had like an, a paralysis. I could move my eyes and I could move my head. But like my arms didn't want to, I couldn't pick them up and I couldn't move my legs. Just move the mic a bit closer. Oh, 
and I and I couldn't I, I couldn't feel my legs, and my arms wouldn't wake up, uh, and and so I said, I am gonna die. And then that same voice said to me again, you can die if you want to die, but you don't have to. So I said, so Jesus, what can I do now? I can't move. And he said, you must go to work. If you're not going to die, you must go to work. I lay there for a little bit and then I tried and I started to move my upper body like this. And eventually I rocked myself off the bed. And when I fell onto the ground, Everything came loose, and I got up, and it was like nothing was wrong. And so I, I went to work. And at about 10 o'clock that morning, I phoned a friend of mine who knows a lot about snakes. And I said to him, uh, he's got a lot of snake books and things, so I knew that he, he would be able to look up in his book what was happening. I said, well, I've been bitten by this vine snake. So he says, and you're not dead yet. So I said, no, I'm not dead yet. He says, well, you're going to be dead in 72 hours. He says, in three days, you're going to be dead. Because that thing is, the, the venom is diluting all your blood and you're just going to bleed out. You're going to just bleed. Are you bleeding through your nose and your ears or something? I said, no, I'm not. So I said, you're, nice, you're a nice friend, aren't you? Anyway, I carried on working that whole day. And that night... We had no electricity there. We, it was much worse than in South Africa uh, for electricity. But anyway, <laughs> there was no electricity that night. So I had a candle and I was having a bath. And, and I suddenly looked down at my right leg. And from my knee down to my foot, it looked like I had been bruised. It was all yellow and purple and, and black. And I looked at this. And I said, I'm hemorrhaging. I am going to die. And again, the third time, that voice said to me, you can die if you want to die. And I didn't want to die, really. I just thought I was going to die. Yes. But I didn't really want to die. And so I got up and, and, I, and I went and I got the Bible again and I read all those verses of Scripture again. And I said, thank you, Jesus. And I'm still here today. Uh, I did, a lot of my veins actually burst. Uh, a lot of that's gone away. But right near to my foot, I've still got a lot of uh, black that's still there. But that's the only thing that uh, is the aftermath of that particular bite from that snake. But in 2011, I came back to South Africa for three weeks to... Um, because uh, because of the visa whole problem, uh, and I had to get a new visa, so I had to wait here for a little bit, and I was here for three weeks. So I decided that I would just go to the doctor and have a checkup. I'd never had a checkup since I was in the army, you know. So I thought, okay, well, I'll have a checkup. The first thing that the doctor said to me after they had taken the the blood samples and everything, the next visit, the first thing that he said to me, he said, we found poison in your blood. And I thought, isn't that amazing? The poison was still there. And that was after two years. No, three years. That's, yeah. that's strange. That they picked it up in my blood. They said that you have been poisoned. Wow. And then I told him that I'd been bitten by that snake. And, he said, and then the doctor just said, well, it sounds like that's what the problem was. 
that just to the fact that they found it and I, I was amazed at that yeah that's pretty incredible i didn't know yeah. that the venom could stay in your system for so long well they did and that's the only time I'd been poisoned because he did ask me, have you been bitten by a, s- a spider or, or anything like that? And I said, no, no, I was bitten by a snake in 2009. And I mean, they, the guy really pumped a lot of venom into me. Yeah, he was It was very sore. I mean, for, for weeks afterwards, my arm was very sore. It really was. I so, can imagine. It's, yeah. it's not something that, it's a foreign substance in your bloodstream and body trying to yeah. break it down essentially yeah. and shut your system down that's so uh, can i just tell you the end of that story yes please because do. this is the thing from that moment on i made a deal with god when actually when i when i thought i was gonna die um i made a deal with god that i, I wouldn't catch any more snakes and i wouldn't play with them the catching sort of like I thought uh, that doesn't really matter too much but I wouldn't play with them okay and I made a deal with God and I've kept that although I have caught a few snakes after that but some of them were because people were scared they were in their house yes uh, so I caught those snakes and I thought oh, well God would forgive me for that because I was helping those people. <laughs> but that's actually what it was all about. <laughs> so, and ha- has your handling methods changed since then? Yes. Yes. I, I, uh, after that, uh, I did use a stick. Okay. Any stick that I found, I would break it off and just pin the snake down and okay. catch it like that. So I never used the hanky, the hanky deal. <laughs> yeah. That's incredible. So- <laughs> Do you, do you have any more wildlife stories that you can share with us? Because you've had some crazy experiences throughout Africa. Yes, I have got some. And not that I'm particularly proud of some of them, because I think some of them were a little bit reckless. Yes. And um, I know that it. I shouldn't have done... Well, one, one, let me tell you one time when, when uh, I had... Uh, a little bit of a a run in with a with a hippo, and um, we were in Savuti, um, in the in the in uh, Botswana, and um, we were in a camp there, and it was a very like desolate camp. We were the only people in the camp, my wife and I, and um, and. We'd gone for the morning drive and everything. And, and uh, so we, we had come back and had breakfast and everything. And then I just went, I walked down to the bottom of the, the campsite. Uh, there were no fences or anything like that. But there was like a little river down the bottom, but it was it had dried up. But there were pools there. And, uh, and I mean, I'm standing on the side of this thing. And then I see there's a hippo in one of these pools. And I watched it for a long time. It never moved. So I thought, well, because everything's drying up, maybe this hippo just died. So I walked around the pool until I got near to where the hippo was. And I still looked at it for a long, long, long time. And it never moved. So I picked up a, like a sand clod, a, bump, a lump of sand, and I just threw it at the hippo. 
And that hippo came out of that water like greased lightning. And it just came for me. And I ran. And I ran. And I'm telling you, the adrenaline is just something that you, you cannot believe. It was pumping in me. And I ran. And I knew that those things can run like 40, 40 k's an hour. But there was no way this thing was going to catch me. A <laughs> hundred meters up from there, there was a little shower block. And I thought if I can get in there, there's no door on it, but, but the, the, the concrete was so that the hippo would never be able to get his nose in there. And if I could just get up there, I would be fine. And so as I was running, I was shouting to my wife because we were in a tent, a small tent. And I was shouting, don't leave the tent, stay there. And I just ran and I managed to get in there before the hippo. The hippo only ran about 700 meters. And then he turned around and he went back into that pool. 70 meters. No, I was, yeah, 70 meters. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah, 700, oh, sorry. <laughs> so, so, so he went back into the pool. Then I went back into the tent and now, now I was... I was shaking. It was just something. And Enid had actually looked out of the window and she had seen me running from the zipper. And and I'm just very happy that the hippo couldn't run as fast as me. I don't think it was on, on a bit of an uphill. But anyway, we had tea and everything and we went out for a for another drive just after lunch. And then when we came back, I went for another walk down there. And that hippo was there again. So I went back to Enid and I said to her, Enid, come, bring the camera. I want to get a picture of this. <laughs> All if, crazy things start in bring uh, the camera. I tell you what, I wanted to get the camera for this one. So I went back there. The hippo took no notice of me whatsoever. And I picked up another sand clod. And I want to tell you that even before I threw it, that hippo came out of that water fast. And I ran and my wife took a picture and, and I just kept running and she ran into the bush. And, and eventually the hippo just turned around and said, you know, he doesn't want to play these games anymore. He want to get into the water. It was very, very hot. Anyway, so we did get a picture of that hippo, which was pretty close to my butt. Uh, and, and, um, uh, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't want to tell you what we did with that picture because I did get into trouble from the conservation people. That was a very bad mistake that I made there. And I do, I do regret it very much. Um, but I want to tell you another time, um, we were up in Miami and this was with a different bunch of people. Where's that? That's also in the... Botswana. In Botswana. On, on the, you know, where the Chobe River comes all the way down there, there's the Maremi River, and, and there's a lot of, lot of camps all around that area there. Yes. Around the swamps. Okay, and so there's water, there's channels, and all kinds of things. So we were at, excuse me, we were at, the, at, a, at a, a camp that was called Third Bridge in Maremi, and uh, there were a lot of people there. Um, and there, there were these beautiful channels which are, filled with completely clear water, but you can see fish floating around in there. And we decided there was, there was uh, three couples that had, had come to, the, to look at the animals. And um, so us three guys, we, we went down 
in the night to sit on the bridge. The bridge was like 30 meters long and just made out of poles. Okay, so it was very rough. Um, and we were sitting sort of like in the middle of this bridge with our feet hanging, our legs hanging over the side. Pitch black night and we were fishing because we decided we are going to have fish for supper. Fishing, we could, it was pitch black. It was so dark. I had a torch with me. Okay. Uh, but anyway, we were sitting there. And then I suddenly had this feeling inside of me again, which is in my spirit. And uh, I mean, I realized afterwards that it was God telling me something. And he said, go now. Go back to your tent now. So I told the guys, I said, listen, I, I believe that God has just told us that we must leave now. They said, no ways we're leaving. We, we haven't even caught any fish yet. And we've had a lot of nibbles. I said, we've got to go now. And I stood up. And as I did that, a car came from the other direction with its headlights. Walking onto the bridge was nine lions. And we're sitting in the middle of a 30 minutes. So we were 15 meters away from these lions. Wow. Wow. When we saw them, did we run? We ran. But we didn't run into our tents. We jumped into our vehicles and we shouted at our wives, don't get out of your tents. And you know that those lions, they just came, walked right over the bridge. They walked right through the camp with all the tents and everything, never worried about anybody and just kept walking on. And to me, that was an incredible experience. That's an African yes, experience. That right is a there. real African experience. So, yeah, that's my little part for today. That's yeah. That's awesome. A, a lot. A few last questions before we go. Yes. Have you ever met Dr. Robert Broom? Because obviously we we are related to him, um, and he's world renowned for what's it? Finding Mr. or Mrs. Place. I forget what it is now, but. Have you met him? Yes, I've met him. So what was your impression I of him? I met him when he was, I mean, I was still young. I was in primary school. Okay. Um, he was a like a little old man and uh, he loved fossils. And I always used to, I always used to say to my friends that, that he actually looked like a fossil. He was a very, he was a funny little old man. I mean, just the way he dressed and he had these little round glasses and everything. He was like a real scientist, you know, what I would think was a real scientist. Yes. He always dressed in, in, in a suit with a waistcoat and a tie uh, or a bow tie or, or something like that. And he used to wear a hat. And I can remember as a, as a young boy that uh, I used to just love going into his garage because there were all kinds of skulls in his garage and everything. Um, and at one time I actually asked him if I could, if I could take one of, his, one of those skulls to, to school because we were actually studying that particular thing in, in, the, in our biology class. And, uh, and he said yes. So I took it and uh, I really liked uh, Uncle Robert and um, he had a lovely wife. And she used to give us nice cookies and crumpets with with honey on, and I liked that. So yes, I I knew him like that. I, uh, I mean, he was my dad's uncle. Yes. Uh, and my dad used to visit him quite a lot. So uh, yes, 
it was my dad's father's brother. So uh, I didn't know very many of of my uh, uh, cousins and aunts and uncles on my father's side. Okay. Uh, I don't know, just something that just never happened. He, but you knew him. But I knew him, yeah, and I had visited his little house. Yes. Okay. Because he found Erythrosuchus, which is, I think, it's known as the red crocodile and was the largest predator of its time. So that's more of like something special for us reptile guys ah, opposed yeah. to the human, missing human link or whatever you yes. call it. The, I didn't know anything about that. Neither do I, to oh. be honest. I don't know much about I know about the Erythrosuchus now. Uh, I learned about it actually a few days ago because oh. one of my good friends told me about it because he knows more about... <laughs> talk to Robert Broom than I do, even though yes. I'm related, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, well, I do know that there's a street in in uh, Krugersdorp named uh, Dr. Robert Broom something. Yeah. Okay. Way, or I think it's called Dr. Robert Broom Way. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So it was awesome to hear all the stories. Thank you so much for telling this to us. And I guess I've come to the conclusion that Somewhere in my genetics, there is a disposition of me liking snakes. Yes, I think so. <laughs> it has to be genetic. I mean, it seems like it. Yeah, but it's just that you know a lot more about them than I did, or even than I do. Yes. Well, thank you. That it, means a lot. It's really nice. I enjoy looking at your your uh, YouTube videos for Righteous Reptiles. I haven't looked at any of the others, but uh, yeah, it's very good. Thank you so much, yeah. Uncle Ken. And I, I will be trying not to do catch snakes in the way that you did. Yes, very irresponsible. Yeah, yes. well, you, you did it pretty well for so many years without taking a bite. Yeah. I just, that's not what I want to do in that way. So yeah. thank you so much for these awesome stories. I what really loved it. And I guess we did, we find out also snakes do chase you. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think they do. Yes. <laughs> I've been chased, so I'm pretty sure they chase. <laughs> so thank you so much. This was what awesome. I really, really enjoyed it. It's been fun. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you for coming. What a pleasure. Thanks, guys, for okay. listening. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. What's a ruby? Yeah, a ruby is a... You know, you don't know any of these words, eh? Well, it's I've... because you didn't go to a proper school. <laughs> it's because I'm homeschooled. <laughs> yeah, and you only learned good things from your mother. <laughs> well, I, I, I am not complaining. <laughs>